Greetings and welcome to Radio Vox Pop, a series podcast from radio to podcasts. It is a love letter from the mothership of radio, one of our most enduring broadcast media forms to the eclectic ever-developing media offspring, the podcast, and how they represent the people's voice, how we feel about them, why we consume them, and what impact they have on us in our daily lives. But to start for our first episode, we sweep you away to 1938 and a notorious radio event across the airwaves. about? And why are a married couple in New York City fleeing in panic out into the autumn night with the last six dollars they possess, spending it all on as much train travel as they can out and away to the open spaces of Connecticut, driven by primal fear of the unknown and the radio sounds of chaos? We'll find out later. And in the meantime, we get to meet our first guest for episode one of Radio Vox Pop, a guy who did the opposite and moved from radios, railways and wide open spaces back to more citified regions and the ever-growing options of broadcast media. Welcome to Radio Vox Pop Michael and our first episode of the podcast series. Railways and radio sort of came into your life together in a way at the same stage of your career as a human being. Can you please explain for us why and how they featured in your early years? Sure. At about 18 months of age, my parents moved from Sydney back to the bush in central western New South Wales. And apparently from the time I could walk, I also learned to operate the big old radiola set and select the stations playing current pop music like the Beatles, etc. And then I'd proceed to bop out in front of the radio, which even though at a very young stage of my life, I actually have memories of doing that. It was the first thing I zeroed in on every morning, apparently, and instantly felt the pull of music as a language of sorts. Railways come in when Dad got work with the rail maintenance crew on the Silver City line between Sydney and Broken Hill. With that, we moved to a little place called Trider, east of Ivanhoe, in about 1962. Interestingly enough, it's a place that's not even on the map anymore. Wow. Do you think your life would have been markedly different being an only child for the first four years and being so isolated in rural New South Wales if you had not had that sense of other voices and the wider world at large that radio provided? Oh, yeah, it would have. From the time I can remember, which was just under three years of age, we were right out in the bush and most of my interactions were with adults. And up to the time I went to school, I had very little interaction with kids my own age or anyone apart from my parents in general. The radio gave us a sense of a bigger world outside the little village we lived in. And apart from music, the biggest thing was news, both Australian and international. We had no utilities, so we relied on battery-operated radios. How old were you when you first got a television in the family home? 
It was 1967, I was nine. We'd moved from the bush to a little place called Albion Park, just south of Wollongong, and it actually had a real butcher shop. <laughs> did the addition of visual media disrupt your love of radio, or did you continue your radio listening as keenly as ever? Oh, it, it did in some respects, especially the switch to watching the news on TV and, and also music programs like GTK and Countdown, because you're able to see as well as hear the artists. But radio continued to be a major media source for music especially, because radio had constant music programs. And in those days, from the late 60s through the late 70s, 2SM Sydney was the major station for current and new music. You have a keen interest in musical forms of many kinds and have started listening to podcast interviews with Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin, Gail Ann Dorsey, who toured with Lenny Kravitz, no doubt, Bowie and Tears for Fears, to name a few. Do you find podcasts much different to a traditional radio interview in what they offer the listener in terms of musical discussion or any other aspect? Oh, yeah, to me, there's a big difference. I think that in general, the authors of podcasts tend to be much more interested in their subject and they are far better researched and ask more insightful and interesting questions. And this often leads to off-script discussions, which can be even more interesting for me as a listener and to the interview subject as well. What would you list as one of the most exciting memories of audio media that you experienced in the childhood of your past? Easy one. Definitely the first time I heard Friday on my mind by the Easy Beats. It just blew me away. I was in the car outside the Hilston pub in probably 65 it was. Dad had bought out a pub squash and this song came on the radio in the car. And it's just sound coming out of the car dashboard, but for me as a young kid with such a strong habit of the language of radio music, it was mesmerising and energising. I also remember the news bulletin when JFK was assassinated. All the adults were just stunned and in disbelief and it left a big impression on me. And another memory I have is how radio influenced change in the world in simple things like the lead up to converting from imperial to decimal currency. There was a jingle about it written to the tune of Click Goes the Shears, which is an Australian classic folk ballad. It became what we would now call a meme and it really got stuck in your head. And what about as an adult? Is there a radio moment that really made a strong impression on you, a bit like your JFK moment? Oh, absolutely. I'd been at a meeting about an hour from where I live, and on the way home, I'm listening to the car radio when a news bulletin came on. It was a report on the first plane crashing into the World Trade Centre Tower in New York. The rest of the drive home, I was transfixed and horrified by this content. I couldn't believe it was real. And the first thing I did when I got home late that night was turn on the TV, just in time to see the footage of the second plane crash into the other tower. The radio sounds had been bad enough, but the visual confirmed the brutality of an unimaginable event. Yes, unimaginable indeed. On a lighter note, do you think podcasts would be popular with aliens if they came across them out in deep space? <laughs> Um, oh, I think it would depend on the alien. If it was Queen Xenomorph from the Alien movies, then probably not, even though she is heavily into casting pods, ironically. On the other <laughs> hand, <laughs> if it was Uncle Martin from My Favourite Martian, then yeah. But generally, there would have to be some interest initially, and especially if the subject was about intelligent life forms like David Bowie. Oh, I totally agree there. 
Thank you for joining us today, Michael. It's been really great having you on Radio Vox Pop. No worries. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. As we all zoom around our lives via trains, planes, automobiles and the digital highways, what do we gravitate to and what purposes do our media messages serve us in how we distinguish fact from fiction in what is going on in our worlds? Our next guest is a wonderful lady who lives on 100 acres, much of it natural bush, vulnerable to climate conditions and emergencies and home to many animals some young and in training, and others adopted and sheltered to retire and warm their bones in the sun. Greetings, Carolyn. Great to have your company in this first episode of Radio Vox Pop podcast series. May I just begin by asking how radio has been a practical media form for you during your life so far, both professionally and for entertainment? Well, entertainment-wise, I've always had the radio on in the background when I'm at home, when I'm in the car. Um, I had a job for many years where I worked all day with the radio on. When I was younger, it was predominantly music. Now I'm a bit older, it's predominantly the ABC, news radio, uh, mixed up with a few podcasts. You've spent a fair amount of time driving between where you live because you live on lots and lots of acres and a lot of it is natural Australian bush and where your family live around the state and also transporting your beautiful horses. How has radio shaped what you listen to covering so many kilometres and do you use radio in the horse float at all? Uh, No radio in the horse float. We do have a camera to keep an eye on but... That's something I could look at. Um, I always have... I love having the radio on in the car. I'm always a bit disappointed when the cricket is on because that's not really my thing. But these days, with digital radio, I can avoid the cricket. So that's lovely. Um, but, yes, it's, it's great in the car. It's a mix between music and, once again, news. It sounds like the great Aussie mix of many people on the road. So how did you first discover podcasts and does radio influence your choice of podcast in any way? I can't actually recall the exact way I found podcasts. I I think I stumbled across it. But I probably heard someone talking about them on the radio. And I think my first podcast series was Will Anderson, who's a local comedian but also popular world worldwide. Yeah, love Will. He's a great local comedian. Currently, with our global health situation, in Australia we receive updates of coronavirus status and also the corona cast from our ABC platform. Do you listen to both or tend to use one more than the other at all? I haven't sought out the CoronaCast podcast. I've accidentally listened to it on the radio, which I've worked out is then put on the podcast when I've been madly awake at 4am and I've put the radio on and heard the dulcet tones of (laughs) our uh, health... Dr Norman. Dr Norman Swan. Um, But it is very informative. 
Yeah, Dr Norman is great. I want him to be Australia's spokesperson for Corona. Don't know whether it's the accent or just the intelligent content, but I'm happy with both currently. You have actually kindly contributed to a podcast prior to this. Can you tell us a little bit about that and if you felt it was different to an audio format like, say, traditional talkback radio where you just phone up and call in? Yeah, a few years ago I stumbled into taking part in a Yumi Stimes podcast called Childless by Choice. Um, the whole process was interesting. I... I was in an ABC studio on, all on my own and the other participants were in three different states. Ooh, early COVID. <laughs> yes, it was all very COVID safe. Um, I would say the biggest difference between, say, a podcast like that and Talkback Radio, it's Talkback's not edited. It's, it's straight off whatever people are saying where this podcast was definitely edited. So a lot more structure in the podcast world. Absolutely. Like they, they added extra things in or took some stuff out and changed the, you know, the order of things perhaps. Do you feel your relationship with radio as a media form gave you confidence to share your personal thoughts and viewpoints um, from hearing so many people in talkback um, via an audio podcast? Was there a sense of the familiar stranger in the experience for you? Yeah, definitely. I think because I've heard lots of talkback and, and listened to lots of podcasts, and also it was a subject that I was very familiar with, and as much as I was on my own in the studio, it was quite an intimate environment. So it felt like I was just talking to some friends. Can I ask you, what's one of the most exciting things you've heard over broadcast radio that stuck in your memory? Unfortunately, the most exciting things have always been the bearer of bad news that, that stand out, bushfires, floods, like corona, all the latest lockdowns, they've all come from radio. All the high alert stuff. Yeah, and it's the, it's the go-to place for that really, really important information. Mm, where you just want the nitty-gritty, the essential facts, and you don't want to have to go looking in the background to see whether it's fake news. Exactly, yes. It's, it's news generally with ABC that you can trust. Yeah, good old auntie, love her. <laughs> also, what is one of the strangest things you've ever heard listening to a podcast? Well, I must admit one of my favourite podcasts, and I came at this a few years ago when I was new to the game, was one called My Dad Wrote a Porn. <laughs> And it was, I have heard of that. It was so outrageous and so hilarious. I was hooked. <laughs> Did you think it sounded like your dad? No, nothing like my dad, thank, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> Just thought I'd ask why it was so relatable. <laughs> no disrespect intended. <laughs> so if aliens did land, do you think horses would be able to tell a real Martian from a fake one? Yes, absolutely. They'd probably run, run a million miles away. You don't think they would indicate some way or suddenly start speaking like Mr Ed? 
Well, who, who knows? The aliens might have the answers to unlock all the questions that I have for my horses. That's a really good way to look at it. Keep calm and ask lots of questions. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today, Carolyn, and being part of Radio Vox Pop's first ever little episode. We look forward to having you on the episodes that follow. If you can find the time, we'd love to have you back. Thanks for inviting me. It's been fun. <laughs> So if we want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth, who do we trust for authentic, vital information? And is it the speaker or the channel we trust or both? In this era of celebrity culture and the questionable media, how do we know who's genuine? In the US in 1938, it was illegal to impersonate a president on the radio. So how did they get around it? Is that the case for Australia? And how would we know the difference between an impersonator and a real statesman? Well, next I go old school and phone up and call in to talk back new school with one of Australia's most professional radio identities, Mr Jonathan Kendall of the ABC, and explore whether radio and podcasts are BFFs or frenemies. Good morning, Jonathan. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast for Radio Vox Pop and the story of radio to the evolution of podcasts. Obviously, as a, a professional for quite some time, radio as a media form is obviously a huge part of your life and career. Were you always drawn to radio as a media form or did the cosmic pranks to throw you into it in one way or another? <laughs> I was a little bit jealous of radio because I worked in TV for a long time and I was always a bit jealous of how uh, radio journalists and radio presenters could talk about the things that were happening straight away. There was that form of immediacy that we kind of didn't really have with TV news when I was working in it. So um, uh, that was, was that's just what drew me to it. And also the companionship side of it, um, particularly with ABC Radio, there's a whole lot of people who rely on um, on on radio as a, a companionship kind of uh, medium. So, and that's really fun. You get to talk to people about their lives and uh, how they're going and what they're memories are and um and I really enjoy it so they're the two things that kind of drew me to radio um that side of things and also the immediacy yeah that sense of other voices out there in the world mm. uh, depending on what situation we're in at any given time may I ask why you feel we still love and adore radio uh, and have that really strong sense of connection. Do you think it's an element of trust in radio? I think so. I think that it goes back to the early days uh, of life in Australia where radio was the dominant uh, medium really. Um, and that has changed over time, but there is that, that hangover of, of trust, which is good. Um, I think, but also because it is pretty much always there. You can have the radio on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it's a constant companion. And And I guess you can do that with, with other media as well. But um, radio leaves a bit to the imagination as well. And um, yeah, and it's just a really friendly medium. 
Yes, I agree with that. It's it leaves our imaginations to build our version of of the truth that we hear coming out across those waves. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, how much do you think children still engage and enjoy radio, even if they have those competing media from the second and third screen devices via PCs and mobile phones? Do you think that children like that evocative side of radio? Um, well, this just speaking from my experience with my two kids, I think they don't engage too much with live radio, but um, but podcasts they really really engage with. And I, in that sense, I am a bit worried about the the future of of radio. But um, but yeah, my kids, I've got a, a three year old and a five year old, and they will listen to a podcast, but it's very hard to get them to sit down and and listen to live radio. So if that's anything to go by, I'm not sure about the future of radio, but um, yeah, hopefully we'll get them into it eventually. Yeah, it could be that uh, um, that portability, that mobility, of, and also the time-shifting mm. aspect of podcasts too. They get control when they listen to it, maybe. Mm. Um, also, uh, it it may represent that whole uh, aspect now where digital streaming media has been around for some time now. Do you think the evolution of the podcast was inevitable and do you see the dynamic between radio and podcasts having um, perhaps a tension or a competition at all? Yeah, I think there is a bit of tension there. I remember when podcasts were first becoming popular and I was really excited by them. I thought this is this is the new um, the new format, a new um, uh, form of, of radio basically and then everyone decided that they were going to do a podcast <laughs> and so with, <laughs> it's just the the, um, the market for podcasts was flooded and yeah. even down to the fact where or to the point where, um, where Department of Education or government departments would want to do their own podcast, and and that's I reckon when it um, got it went a bit over the top. So um, I think there are some really good podcasts, like all media. There's some really good um, forms, some really good shows, but other ones are not so good. And I think yeah, I think probably now we've reached that tipping point where there are quite a few more ordinary podcasts than extraordinary podcasts. <laughs> Yes, content really is king, isn't it? Mm. And uh, it sort of brings me to that point about the relationship between radio and podcasts. Mm. Um, Just because the framework is there doesn't mean everybody should jump on it. Mm. Um, And uh, will the fact that podcasts are saturating our airwaves and and, uh, does it actually compromise that great relationship we have with radio. Mm. Um, Do you think the public's relationship with radio has changed um, much since the 2000s in terms of um, the shock jocks and the radio banshees and the media mogul narratives and the trust we have in the messages broadcast? 
do podcasts help us to decipher whose radio messages are perhaps more credible than others in any way? I, I think they do. I think they do. I think there are more voices now. And so it's a democratisation of media, which has been going on, going on through social media for quite a while now. But I think um, with more voices become, uh, comes uh, more diversity and, yeah, and fewer gatekeepers. So I, I think that can only be a good thing. It's kind of like what YouTube has done um, for the music industry, which, you know, there are some good points and some bad points to that. But uh, but you can create music in your bedroom and put it on YouTube and get a record deal, you know, in a couple of weeks if you're good enough, whereas it used to be um, you've, you've got to be the Beatles or the Rolling Stones and then get a record deal and, you know, play gigs and then do it that way. But if you're really good... Um, you can you can do it from your bedroom, which I think is is a good thing. Of course, there are drawbacks with with that format, and of course, there are drawbacks with with podcasts as well. But um, I, yeah, I think it's I think it's great. In the uh, age of fake news now, uh, thanks to a, a former world leader, um, it makes me think back two years ago when Orson Welles' Mercury Theatre Company actually used an actor to whose voice was absolutely spot on for their President Roosevelt mm. in part of their radio play War of the Worlds, uh, resulting in uh, a couple... Uh, racing out of their house in panic with every cent they had and jumping on a train to get as far away as they could um, only to find out it, it was a radio play and not a real news bulletin, but it was just presented so well by world. Mm. Um, if you heard Martians had landed in Australia, where's the first place you would run to? <laughs> That is not the question that I was expecting there. Um, oh, sorry. That question is based on the premise that you believed the broadcast, of oh, course, okay. and not just assuming you would. <laughs> um, so I guess there's a question wrapped in a question there. Um, and... I, yeah, I, I understand. I mean, that, that is an example of how powerful the media was at that time and how powerful the medium of radio was at that time. Um, and, and I kind of, growing up a fair bit after that, I struggled to understand how, how people would do that because I've kind of grown up in an era of media literacy where you understand that, um, you know, people will tell you messages and tell you stories and not all of them are true. Um, but, um, but obviously that was different back then and, and, and anything that came out of the radio was gospel. So uh, I, can, I can understand how that would be the case, but on, on the other hand, I, I kind of question it as well. Um, but if, if Martians landed or if aliens landed, I would go to Wilson's Promontory. <laughs> what a beautiful place to choose. <laughs> and hopefully you would have no radio signal by which vast communities would be susceptible to any form of rumour in, in terms of whether to take a vaccine or not. That's it. And, you know, and there's great fishing down there and it's just a lovely part of the world. I, I, I'd love to live down there. Well, uh, hopefully you'll get some time off soon and get to uh, get out of the studio and uh, grab a, a good book. It might be uh, Orson Welles' Mercury. <laughs> 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 
diary <laughs> or how to plan a Martian menu yeah, yeah. and uh, enjoy some time down there. Thank you so much for your time today, Jonathan. Really thrilling to have your company on Radio Vox Pop's first ever episode for the podcast. And uh, just thank you so much for your time. No worries, Francis. In the immortal words of David Mitchell, so was it a lie or am I telling the truth? Turns out it is the truth. John and Estelle Paltz of 8 East 15th Street, New York City, were persuaded by a theatre troupe, a bunch of sound effects and an actor who sounded like Roosevelt to spend their last dollars to flee out of the city seeking safety. If you would like to discover more about this fascinating radio event and others like it around the globe, you can explore A. Brad Schwartz's wonderful work called Broadcast Hysteria, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds and the Art of Fake News. Thank you for helping us launch the first episode of Radio Vox Pop, joining in conversations with our very kind guests where we explored the human experience of radio, podcasts and thoughts about alien invasion. If you are curious about what goes into our ears, minds and hearts via radio and podcasts, tune into the next episode of Radio Vox Pop, where we discover the origins of emergency communications, how they are operationalised today and more wonderful identities to delight and surprise, sharing who consumes podcasts and just... Who listens to the radio?